Hello everyone, and welcome back to eMigCast. My name is Andy Lichtenheld. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we're going to be talking about heroes. In the world of emergency medicine, I think heroes play a pretty important role. They challenge our preconceptions and beliefs about what is possible, they inspire us to become better than we are, and they provide the shoulders we stand on when we seek to provide better emergency care to patients everywhere. Today we're doing the first of what we hope to be a semi-regular series, and we're going to borrow a tradition from another genre in which heroes are also a pretty big deal, comic books. Specifically, we're talking about the origin story. For those not previously initiated, here's what Wikipedia has to say. In comic book terminology, an origin story is an account or backstory revealing how a character or team gained their superpowers and or the circumstances under which they become superheroes. So origin stories provide insight not only into where our heroes come from, but into what makes them tick, basically what makes them a hero. For our first emergency medicine origin story, I was lucky enough to sit down and talk with one of my own heroes, Dr. Josh Cornegie. Dr. Cornegie is our faculty advisor here at eMidCast, and his dedication to the pursuit of excellence in emergency medicine, his genuine care for patients, and his leadership through mutual respect and positive regard for all members of the emergency department team are all heroic. I hope you enjoy learning about his origins, how he approaches his practice, and I'm sure that along the way you'll find some inspiration and pearls you can apply to your own study of emergency medicine. Here we go. So first of all, Dr. Cornegie, thank you for making the time in your busy schedule to talk to us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. I was hoping we could start off by just telling us what your job looks like now and you know any sort of specific areas of interest you have. Uh, yeah, so I am an assistant professor in emergency medicine at OHSU. Um, that's kind of my clinical appointment, so I work in the emergency department. I've got a couple of non-clinical appointments. I'm also the um, assistant program, uh, residency program director for our residency here. I uh, run the simulation program through emergency medicine, so I do a lot of uh, resident education via simulation. And then I am the medical director for... A new center here at OHSU called CARE, which is an acronym that stands for the Center for the Advancement of Resuscitation Education. So we more or less teach all of the American Heart Association certification programs, advanced cardiac life support, basic life support, pediatric advanced life support uh, for all of the uh, employees and faculty here at OHSU, which really is kind of one of my, as far as clinical areas of um, expertise or research interest is adult cardiac arrest is kind of where I spend a lot of my research time. So so like most folks in emergency medicine, it sounds like you have a lot of hats. Um, and to start with, I want to figure out a little bit about how you got those hats. So what did you do before, even before you came to medical school? Did you take sort of the traditional straight line through undergrad into medical school, or was it sort of a meandering path through the forest? How did you get to medical school? Very much a meandering path, more through the desert than the forest. (laughs) So I um, grew up in West Texas. I did all of my undergraduate training in West Texas and actually was a botanist. So I studied uh, plants and spent many, many lonely days and nights in the deserts of northern Mexico collecting data specimens from an endangered cactus species. That's what I did before medicine. The Echinoceras chisoensis, which is a uh, fancy word for saying a very beautiful purple cactus. We And so I studied ecology, and that was kind of my big thing in undergraduate stuff, um, which has nothing to do with medicine. But I had to work 
to pay for school, so I got this job having no medical experience at all, working in an emergency department in my hometown, and they did all on-job training for me, so I was more or less like an emergency room technician, and initially I would just kind of go around and stock rooms and make sure that things were cleaned up after bad traumas came through and those types of things, and then as I worked more and more, I always worked the night shift uh, so that I could go to school during the day. And the, the staff there just taught me more and more and more about medical issues, medical procedures, uh, which is more or less where I got all of my initial medical experience. Um, I guess it's the combination of those two entities that um, kind of reflecting back on just doing plant biology and being by myself a lot versus still getting to do biology, human biology, and be around patients and, and kind of have those connections, see what was going on in their lives, um, form relationships that really made me think more about medicine. And after a couple of years, I decided that I was going to apply for medical school and, and try to become a doctor. So, How do you think the having the experiences that you had working in the ER and having these other medical jobs and just other jobs in general before med school, how do you think those influenced how you approached medical school? I think the biggest advantage it gave me was that I really, like, when, like, for instance, when I was on my rotation in the emergency department, I knew what life was like as an emergency medicine technician. And so seeing the techs all running around the department and seeing what jobs they had to do, I knew what that was like. I worked very closely with the nurses in my prior job, and I knew what it was like to be an emergency medicine nurse. And to have to try to figure out how to interact with a physician, which is not always an easy task from a nursing standpoint. And I think I just really had this huge value on the interdisciplinary importance of all of those jobs to make an emergency department work or really to make a medical ward or an ICU or any of those things work. And I think that having that just that really high elevation, 30,000 foot view of how all of those components work together, I think was very, very beneficial to me. And so I think it just gave me a ton of respect for all of the other people that I got to work with, which has definitely benefited me throughout the rest of my career. Were you emergency medicine solid 100% the whole way, or were you kind of, did you have sort of an open mind and um, kind of take it as it comes? I like to say I had an open mind, but I think that I was, I mean, I think in my heart of hearts, I knew I would end up in emergency medicine. Um, I gave, I felt like I gave everything a fair shot. I really tried to envision me and my existence and happiness in all of these different realms of medicine, but I definitely think that, I mean, emergency medicine was where I always felt the most comfortable, where I always felt like um, it took the things that I was good at in medicine and kind of um, highlighted them and escalated them, and I felt like that was kind of my world. That was where I felt at most home. So. so was it just, was it an intuitive thing, sort of a gut feeling you felt at home, or what were the things that if you that you were good at that you felt it brought out? Well, I felt like I was, so I guess my approach for emergency medicine in general is to be an excellent emergency medicine phys- physician, you have to be, at bare minimum, a good, if not a great, surgeon, an internal medicine doc, and urologist, and pediatrician. Um, you see so much pathology across all of those spectrums that to be excellent at that, you really have to have an interest and a desire to learn more in all of those areas. And as I went through medical school, that's really what I felt. Like every rotation I went on, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I don't know that this is what I would want to do every single day of my life, 
but I didn't hate any of it. I really enjoyed every single day on every one of those rotations. And I felt like five weeks was a perfect time to just focus on surgery. And five weeks was a perfect time to just focus on medicine or OBGYN. And I think if you take your entire career and you kind of break down emergency medicine, that's what you get. You kind of get these little shifts where the global sense of your shift, you get five minutes to go focus on a surgical case, and then you get another 10 minutes to go focus on a medicine case. And I just felt like that variety, um, that degree of kind of expertise, the limited expertise that you have to have in all those areas was exactly what I wanted. It just, uh, I felt like I never got bored. Um, I never felt like I was stopping learning. And those were all things that I was just looking for in a career in medicine, was kind of continually pushing myself to be a better, more well-rounded physician. And I felt like, for me at least, I felt like it would be easy to fall into that trap of feeling like I knew everything there was to know about one specialty and not feel like I was continually to learn in that. And so emergency medicine, for me, does not allow that. What about the flip side of that coin? Did you, did you or do you ever feel overwhelmed by having this kind of unknowable scope of medicine out in front of you and feeling like you got to be excellent at all of it? Yeah, all the time. I mean, every, every shift I walk out of that department and I think that there there are cases that I question that I don't know the answers to and that degree of uncertainty is definitely something that, that all physicians but I think particularly emergency medicine physicians have to figure out how to deal with um, because there is a lot of uncertainty we have a very very small amount of time with patients and a kind of a snapshot of what's going on in kind of their current existence and their current presentation and a lot of times we're wrong or we just don't have it quite figured out yet. And being okay with that is, is something that you have to figure out and teach yourself how to deal with um, because you're never going to, in the amount of time that we have to spend with patients, you're never going to be able to figure all of that out. You, there is some degree of triage to what we do. And so um, every day I walk out and I have those questions. But at the same time, that's kind of what continually drives me. I still buy textbooks and still read about things in a textbook. I still, I mean, I go through all of my primary journals um, to see what I'm missing and see what I could apply to the next case that I see that's similar. Um, I talk about cases all the time with my colleagues to try to learn from the experiences they're having because I I truly feel like my field is uh, one of continuing education. We're never going to know all of it. Um, Okay, so to sort of move back to your... um to your origin story timeline a little bit. So moving, kind of thinking about moving on from medical school to residency, where did you attend residency and how did you choose that? So I did residency here at OHSU. Um, I traveled kind of all over the country and looked at programs. I don't want to say all over the country. I mainly looked at programs on the West Coast and the East Coast um, just based on geographic kind of desirability of living. Uh, Emergency medicine is an interesting field in the sense that there's pretty strict kind of residency requirements. And so a lot of the programs are very, very similar just as far as what you learn and what you see and kind of what it's all structured like as far as ICU months and off-service rotations and those types of things. So it's, it's pretty similar and they're all good. I mean, every program is really, really good. So for me, I... OHSU was a known commodity. I'd grown up here. 
I felt like, you know, some of my greatest heroes in the field were, you know, you look across the spectrum of who these big names are in emergency medicine, and you see some of these names pop up, and you think that these are like, you know, superheroes, and then I had the opportunity to work with some of them in the emergency department as a student, and I was like, these are like totally normal people. These are like totally approachable people, but they've really made this field what it is, and, um, so I think a combination of it being a known commodity, a known amazing residency place, plus I was already integrated into Portland and I loved this place and I never really wanted to move. And um, from an outside of medicine standpoint, I felt like it would be a really, really good mix, knowing that I'd be in the hospital a lot of the time and that the people that I cared most about, my kids, um, and uh, you know, my family would have like a support system here already in Portland, and, and I wouldn't have to worry as much about that. It just felt like a great, great fit for me. Um, so I stayed. And what was that transition like from going from being a student to being a resident? So my transition is probably atypical for almost everybody's out there. Um, that glorious time in between medical school, finishing up that last rotation and graduating and starting residency, I decided to go on a road trip climbing and had a horrible climbing accident two days into the road trip and broke both of my legs. I fell 35 feet to the desert floor in Vegas and broke both of my legs and over the course of that time period had three surgeries and had been out of my wheelchair for two days when I started residency. So I started residency in two cam boots, kind of hobbling around on crutches. Um, I did my first intubation, kind of balancing on one cam boot and my shoulder in the corner trying to figure out how to intubate a patient. Uh, You can imagine as an intern already, you know, scared to even sign an acetaminophen order, trying to hobble into a room, diaphoretic because you're on crutches and you've been up for 10 hours, and convince this patient that you're their doctor (laughs) and you know what's best (laughs) for them and you're going to try to take care of them. And so I feel like I probably had one of the biggest imposter complexes that that I could imagine coming up with. I um, I did really well in medical school, and I felt like that transition into being an intern was horrible for me. Um, and I felt like I was a little bit behind the curve from the rest of my classmates because I, I mean, I started on time, but that first month was a little sketchy for me, and it... Uh, it was tough. It was a really tough transition. I think it's a tough transition for anybody, but I, because of my kind of limitations at that point, there were many, many times throughout that first year I questioned whether or not I made the right decision and should stick with it or not. And medicine in general, or emergency medicine I, in particular? Uh, both, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. Um, but you know, I had some great support here. Um, bones heal. I was able to walk again and. Uh, you know, I think we all go through some sort of event like that as an intern because it's a huge, huge learning curve and, and change. And, uh, you know, I think that mentally both of our legs are broken. All of us have bilateral broken extremities <laughs> at some point during Maybe that Maybe slightly year. less painful. Um, and so I just think that, again, I go back to, like, realizing that that's going to probably be something that happens during that transition and being prepared for it and being as healthy as you possibly can from a mental standpoint, I think is, is a huge thing for people to be aware of. It's a tough transition. Do you think that, that having that experience influenced the way you approach the rest of your residency? 
me personally, I, I will always have an imposter complex. I think that that's just kind of part of my approach to medicine now. I just feel like I'm never where I want to be. I'm never where I should be. I look at the people around me and I always compare myself to those people and think, wow, that person's a much better doc than I am. And, you know, I, I think like on paper, I can sit there and say that's a ridiculous thought process and not constructive. But at the same time, it does push me to become a better physician and it makes me, you know, read a little bit more and see a few more patients and so I don't know. It's a. It's. I've definitely become much more healthy around that imposter complex now, and realizing it is what it is, and it's kind of a probably a pretty ubiquitous, normal type feeling for most people as they make their path through medicine in general and emergency medicine. I see it with residents all the time as a residency uh, assistant, residency director, um, and so it, it doesn't continue to impact me negatively. Um, the trauma itself was is actually, I think, really been a positive thing for me in the way that I can relate to patients in a totally different way. I've taken care of, I can think of two or three patients that have the exact same injuries that I had, and I get to sit down at the bedside and talk to them about their injuries and see how scared they are about surgery or if they're going to be able to do the things that they were able to do before and, like, honestly look at them and tell them, say, hey, I had this exact same injury and I can do everything I did before, plus the only thing the orthopedic doc told me I would not do is run, and I'm even doing that now. So um, I definitely think that it's impacted the way that I've been able to kind of relate to and communicate with patients, which has been good. Are there any skills in particular that you had to pick up in order to be successful as a resident? So I think all of the skills come for residents. They come at different timelines. Some people come in with a lot more skills than others, and... I'll kind of step back and say I'm going to talk much more about like the abstract type skills and not the tangible skills because this is something that I don't think comes as naturally for some. But And this is something that I always knew was important, but don't think I realized how important it was until I became a resident and kind of saw interactions of different people with their different abilities of this skill. And that skill really is interdisciplinary communication. So what I mean by that is, as an emergency medicine physician, I think you really are the liaison between your patient and the rest of the medical community at whole. So you're the liaison between your patient and your nurse, their nurse, their consult, their admitting team, their primary care provider, and figuring out how best to serve in that role can be very, very difficult. I think that a lot of residents come in and they're like, okay, I've just got to figure out how to read an EKG, and I've got to figure out what dose of meds to do, and I've got to figure out that intubation thing because that's really important for me as an emergency medicine physician. And those things are all important, but those things are easy to learn. Those things we have structured ways of teaching. Those things we have curricula designed and built to, to make sure that everybody learns those things. Um, we don't get to the end of residency and are talking about graduating residents and are like, ah, I don't know if we should give them a graduation certificate because of their intubation skills. Everybody learns how to intubate. The things that are not as easy are the communication skills. And I think that if anybody listening to this can take away one thing on every single shift as an emergency medicine doc, you should focus on becoming a better communicator. 
If you decide something's going to happen with your patient, you need to communicate that to your patient. You need to communicate that to your patient's nurse. You need to communicate that if it's like an imaging study to the unit coordinator, who's the person who gets the patient to the imaging suite and back. Um, if there's a plan that the, that the consultants come up with, you've got to communicate that to everybody. And being able to navigate all of those different webs of communication with your patient in the middle of that is, is an art. It doesn't come easy, um, but it really, I think, makes the difference between a good patient care experience. And it also, in emergency medicine, we always talk about efficiency, flow through the department, and if you're ever going to be good at that, that's the key. It's not doing a quick procedure or getting your documentation done early. It, that communication piece, that's what's going to get your patient to where they need to be. And so those skills are something that I grossly underestimated. I think I always knew that that was important, but I don't think I knew how important they were. And I truly feel like if anybody can work on one thing, that's the thing they should work on, on every single shift. All right, I want to move on to asking you a little bit more about what drives you in your job now, how you approach your job now. So to start off with, how do you view your job when you walk through the door of the department and start a shift How are you, and, and sit down for work and kind of get yourself ready? How are you thinking about your job? What are you tr- going to try to do over the course of the next eight or ten hours? I still form goals for my shifts, uh, every single one of them. I don't think that's just something for a student to come up with or a resident to come up with, but I think that every attending should be coming up with a goal for their shift because, as I said, I think emergency medicine continues to grow. It continues to evolve, and there's different things to learn. Um, And so, you know, just for example, right now I'm really trying to fine-tune my cardiac ultrasound. I will come on shift, and I'll be like, okay, that's my goal for the next eight hours. From a very technical standpoint, I really want to figure out if I can scan as many people as I can from an ultrasound standpoint to kind of keep pushing my own skills. But I also really find myself um, early, kind of early on in my career, focusing a lot on flow, a lot on the emergency department flow, um, and trying to figure out how to best balance that and still teach my residents is, is a, my biggest approach for every single shift. Figuring out how to take a smaller chunk of time that I am now spending with that patient and still feel as confident with the plan for that patient has been an interesting kind of evolution. Um, But I still try to, I think, realize that we're seeing these patients at kind of the worst of their day. For the most part, nobody planned to come in and see us that day. And it's not entirely true, but for the most part. And knowing that if I can go in and I can apologize, like heartfelt apology for the weight that they had, and actually sit down at their bedside and give them a little bit of time to talk, even if I don't have the medical answer for them at the end of that day, uh, maybe that's the thing that they needed. And knowing that I have that to contribute and... um, being satisfied with those interactions is something that I'm trying to really identify more with because that's part of my job as well. Um, I think we all go into this wanting to take care of the critically ill patient and do cardiac arrest resuscitations or intubations or pericardial syntheses and those types of things, but that's a very, very small fraction of our job. And if that's the only thing that we get gratification in, then I think that we're just going to get back into that burnout phase because we have a huge 
component to our job that is not that. And so um, really trying to find something, some connection, some moment of gratification with every one of those patient interactions, I think is probably how the biggest evolution my kind of clinical career has changed from when I was a resident. How do you prepare yourself for a tough shift in the emergency department? You've talked a little bit about meditation, but I'm wondering if there's specific things you do besides that. So you mentioned meditation. I I definitely think that that's a huge piece of me and my approach. Um, Music is a, I try to listen to music that will amp me up or pump me up, and that's totally different based on what day it is. So sometimes it's not very amped up music. I just used air quotes for those who are just listening. Um, And then I I, I read. I try to read something. And sometimes it's just like sitting out in the parking lot before I go into the shift. Like medical literature, you mean? Yes. So I will, and it's something small. I try not to become overwhelmed. I try to make it relate to a patient I saw on my last shift um, that I didn't know. Um, And I just try to find something so that I feel like, and I, I don't know if this works at all, but for me, it makes me feel a little bit better as I'm walking into the door. I'm like, I just learned a piece of something. And sometimes it may just be, oh, I forgot what the dose of this medicine was. So I'm just going to review that real quick before I go in so that if it comes up this time, I don't have to look it up. I can just know it. Um, and so those are kind of the three things that I try to do before every single shift. I try to make sure that I have done some sort of mindfulness meditation that day. I try to listen to some music that puts me in a good place and I read something. I take some piece of medical knowledge in that I didn't have before. How do you think about leadership in your job? What's your approach to to how, how big of a part do you think that plays in your job and then how do you approach being a leader in the emergency mm-hmm. department? This is, a, this is a great question um, and I don't know I think it's kind of a difficult answer but I thought about this question a lot and I do think that as an emergency medicine physician, like that is that is my domain. Like I feel like I should be the leader of that. Now, I don't feel like to me that's not like a dictatorship, but at the same time, I really feel like I should not be asking other people to do things that I don't myself know how to do. And that's kind of been a long-standing approach of mine. So if I think a patient needs an EKG, like if the entire department shut down and I was the only person left there, I feel like I should be able to get an EKG. Um, if I feel like a room needed to be stocked, I feel like I should know where those supplies are. And I think that it's easy to just think we're all in our own separate roles and I'm just going to be the one who puts the orders in and writes the chart But at the end of the day, for us to really work as a unit and for me to really truly feel like I'm the leader of that unit and have people turn to me in really critical situations and feel trust, I think that they have to have some sort of respect for you as a leader. And for me, that's a way that I feel like I've really tried to establish that, is really to look at everybody on my team and really appreciate what they do and know that those nurses are way better at putting in a peripheral IV than I am. So if I have the opportunity, I want them to teach me how to do that because I want to know how to do that. That's really how I've always viewed kind of being a leader in the emergency department. And I think it comes down to that one kind of description. If the emergency department 
completely shut down and I was the one person there, I really would like to know how to do every single task that happens in that emergency department. What are the things that keep you up at night after a shift? What do you, when you're laying awake worrying about something, what are you thinking about? Pediatric patients. I feel like pediatric patients, um, not the super, super sick ones because they're easy to figure out. And, you know, the kid that comes through that's like a well-child check, that, you know, you could probably figure that out. But there are a lot of kids that come through that they can hide stuff. Um, Rob Cloutier, one of our PEM faculty here, is like, never trust a kid. And I think that's true. I mean, they, in reviewing some of the cases that end up coming back, I feel like they are, you know, a lot of kids that hide stuff until they get really sick. And so that's probably what I spend the most amount of my time up at night thinking about work-related stuff. I've really changed my practice with regards to that too. Like my, I spend a lot of time with families now. Um, if we're deciding to send a patient home, um, making sure that they very, very much know return precautions and what to look out for, do a huge component of family education uh, to try to counteract that feeling so that everybody's on the same page. Uh, but I think that, you know, those gray patients, the, not the black, not the white, but those gray patients where you're deciding not to do any further work up on and you're deciding to send them home, those are the ones that, um, and I think that most people realize this pretty early on in residency. The super sick patients are pretty easy. The super well patients are really easy. But those in the middle... I'm trying to figure out if you did the right thing by those. Um, that's where our learning is. What one piece of advice would you most like to share with new learners in EM? So I think I've already said it a couple of times, but I'll throw it out there again. I just don't think that I could ever overestimate or overemphasize um, the importance of emergency medicine is a relationship-building field. Um, we talk about resuscitation, but that's a, and that's what we should all aim for, but that's a small percentage of what we do. And even in those, we have to build relationships. And so your communication strategies, when you're on your third-year clerkship rotations, when you're on your off-service rotations as residents, um, picking up as much information to become the best surgeon you can be and the best urologist you can be and the best orthopedist you can be and the best hospitalist you can be. Picking up bits of communication strategies between talking with your charge nurse, or talking with your patient's nurse, talking with the social worker. Taking all of those communication strategies and building a practice of relationship building communication um, to advocate for your patient is the biggest thing that I can just reemphasize for emergency medicine. All of the algorithms of what to do with your patients, the medication doses, the procedural skills, all of that's going to come. All of that's going to be relatively easy. The thing that people, I think, are going to get hung up on and have not good job satisfaction about if they don't know what to do right for their patient because you're going to be pulled in multiple different directions. And you, as the advocate for your patient, have to be able to smooth all of those directions over because the charge nurse's plan for your patient is not necessarily going to be the same as the consultant's plan for the patient. 
and you're the person that's in the middle advocating for that patient. And so building those relationships, meeting as many people in these fields as you can, uh, being respectful for them, having them teach you and being willing to take that instruction, those are the things that are going to make you an excellent emergency medicine physician. Thank you, Josh, for sitting down and talking with us. We really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Anytime. Glad to help. And that's going to do it for our June 2016 episode and our first EMIGCAST emergency medicine origin story. Thanks again for tuning in and listening, and we wish you a happy summer. For those of you going off on away rotations, good luck. And don't forget that our first episodes of EMIGCAST episodes one and two have some valuable tips and insights to help you be successful. For those of you who are graduating and moving on to residency, We wish you the best of luck as well. Be sure to join us again next month for more emergency medicine ideas, information, and inspiration for medical students.